just like that, the final hour is here on this Monday edition. Chad, has it gone by fast for you? It's gone by very fast, Hutton. We've got one hour left on a Monday. Uh, it feels like we've been here five minutes. And Tim Every Brando- day I sit by you sometimes, it gets faster and faster. <laughs> maybe it's just us aging. Tim Brando, maybe. Maybe. Like sands through the hourglass. You just forget how long you've been here. Yes. The time goes so fast when I'm with you. Tim Brando coming up in 20 minutes. Feels like yesterday, speaking of time, that he was the voice of the SEC. It with, does. You know what I mean? It's amazing. Tim Brando's got one of those voices that when you hear it, I can my memory can take me back to about 15 different types of events yeah. that he's called or that I think show. about. Or studio show he's hosted. Yeah. Um, he'll the, be on with us. He's uh, done it all. And here in 20 minutes, he'll... He'll do this show. That's right. That's right. Just a little um, bit more that he can do. Jalen Hurts is having a day. He's having a Monday. He's reached an agreement. Five-year, $255 million extension. That includes nearly $180 million in fully guaranteed money. And he became, by signing this, the highest paid player in the NFL. That's in, in the history of the league, Chad. And he is on top of the mountain with others clawing at the top of the mountain right behind him with Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert specifically. Also, Lamar Jackson. We'll find out what happens between he and the and the Ravens. And Aaron Rodgers is still going to get traded to the Jets at some point, too. I feel it's like selling an NFL franchise where no matter what, it just it keeps appreciating and the sell price goes up and up no matter where the market no is or where. what the team is. It's going to go up a little bit. Now Jalen Hurts has set the bar for quarterback contract extension. Then you're going to have Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert go next. They'll go over that bar. One after well, the other will continue to make more than Jalen Hurts. And then Phil Yates brings up that you can see the names and how things stack up here. But he tweeted out, you know, you've got right now the highest paid quarterbacks in the league on new money average per year. Patrick Mahomes is fifth, followed by Josh Allen at sixth. That's not going to last very long. If we continue to see the Chiefs, and we always have with Mahomes, hosting AFC Championship games and proceeding to go to the Super Bowl, and Burrow's at the top of that hill too because he's got the Bengals going to AFC Championship games, and then you have Josh Allen in the mix and what he means to the Buffalo Bills. Chad, they'll, they'll soon be in restructure city, and they'll become the highest paid player in NFL history. Well, the one that really stands out to me is just crazy right now when you look at that top seven, yeah, or the tied for seventh also, is Kyler Murray at three. Is really crazy when you think about the issues with Arizona and some of the issues surrounding him. Uh, maybe that all changes now that it's a new coaching situation in Arizona, now that Cliff Kingsbury's out. Daniel Jones makes sense because he just signed the contract with the Giants to get up to $40 million, so that makes sense with him tied for seventh, but... Man, Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson stand out big time on that list at three and four. And you have... And not in a good way. Looking through the contract, you also have Russell Wilson on here too. That will, you know, in the top 10, I'm saying, he's not being shown on the screen, but consider the money that was divvy out to him. Another one that does not stand out. It stands out on that list well, and not in a good way. But when this, I look at the other quarterbacks. This year, it's not bad because the cash details this year are $28 million but they've already paid so much up front in his deal. He got paid $57 million last year. Uh, next year's 39 followed by 37 Russell Wilson specifically. He got paid $57 million to be a punchline because of how he said, Broncos country, let's ride. That's, that's what he got paid for last year. Yeah. 
That's yeah. a tough expenditure. Chad, the uh, reports are that Bryce Young decided he's done taking visits with teams because he believes and reports are that the Carolina Panthers are going to make him the number one overall pick in next Thursday's draft. Um, you started, what was it, Thursday or Friday show last week saying that Bryce Young's going to be number one and that's how it should be. Yeah, and he knows it now. And uh, I, I thought initially there's always going to be questions in the back of your mind, but when the Panthers traded up to one, my first thought was they're going up to get Bryce Young. And now after some shifting reports and shifting money from Vegas yeah. and, and gambling odds, it does look like Bryce Young will be number one overall. I was on with Dan Dockage earlier today. We got into this with Bryce Young, and he said, you know, it's 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 a year where there's not that no-brainer prospect where you're saying, oh, definitely number one, he's got everything. And I think back to Andrew Luck initially with the Colts. I think Trevor right. Lawrence with Jacksonville was another guy that just everything seemed to check the boxes and no-brainer number one. I look at Bryce Young, and I see a guy that's exactly the same as those two if he's six foot two, But he's not. He's 5'10". You know, he's 175 to 190 pounds is what he's going to play at. And for that reason, he's not this no-brainer guy, but every other box is checked. He has natural throwing ability at different arm slots, different arm angles. He can throw it with velocity, throws it with touch. He's very dangerous when he's loose in the pocket, not to take off and run all the time, but to make things happen. He's got everything else. He's just small. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And I, I can't sit here and say, Hutton, that I have no reservations about that. I do. But if if he is six foot two, he is the no-brainer. We're not talking about C.J. Stroud. We're not talking about Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, any of these guys. He is the no-brainer well, number one overall pick. It's the size is the only thing that's holding him back at all. Stroud has the size, but isn't running like Bryce Young. No. You know, and that's that's the difference there, too. Um but you're right about the. There's no clear-cut quarterback, but this is like this is a draft where it is the quarterback class, and then really not much else in terms of hype and buzz. And we don't have that number one surefire guy. So there have been five NFL drafts where four or more quarterbacks have been selected in the top 15 picks. This seems to be one of them. This will be the six that feels like. And 2021 was the last one. Trevor Lawrence, to Chad's point, surefire, number one. Followed by Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. Those are the four behind him. Mac Jones selected 15th on the dot there. 2018, Baker Mayfield. Followed by Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen. The last, Rosen selected 10th. All those QBs went top 10. 2011, Chad, Cam Newton, followed by Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, and Christian Ponder. Ponder was selected 12th. And then you have to go all the way back from 2011 to 1999, the Tim Couch draft. That was Donovan McNabb, Culpepper, uh, McNown, and Akili Smith. But also uh, the 83, considered to be the best quarterback class, period, with Elway and uh, Kelly and others. I mean, you, they, the... The group there from the top 15 also included Todd Blackledge and uh, Tony Eason was in that draft yep. and the top 15 to qualify. But I think about this class and I'm thinking there's so many questions and, and a lot of, I mean, keep this in mind about Anthony Richardson. 
His first 200-yard passing game as a college quarterback came against the Tennessee Volunteers last season. His first 200-yard passing game. He didn't start over Emory Jones. I mean, Emory Jones With, was the starter under Dan Mullen at Florida yeah, over him. Just bizarre. So there's, there's a ton of question marks about him. I will be shocked if four quarterbacks aren't taken in the first 15. To me, the only question now is, are the first, are the first four picks all quarterbacks? That, to me, is a more likely scenario than one that would say that four quarterbacks don't go in the top 15. Yeah, and we've only seen three drafts since 67 where the first three picks have been quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. I think that is definitely going to happen. I feel like Arizona is definitely going to make a move with someone who's going to come up and get Richardson. And then the question becomes, is Indy just going to take Will Levis? And you got the four quarterbacks off the board, one, two, three, and four. What do you come down on? How much would you weigh what the division looks like, the future of the division, and what the, what the AFC looks like? Maybe you're not sold all the way on either Richardson or Levis. Like, if you put them on the board, on your vertical board, if you just went 1 through 15, best players in the draft, they'd be pretty far down towards 15, yeah. not 3 and 4. But based on just position and the fact that, I mean, you've got Gardner Minshew... And you're looking around going, where, where do we stack up in the AFC for the foreseeable future? Well, I, I, let me start by saying whoever picks Will Levis has made a mistake. I, I firmly believe that. Now, he's a fine quarterback in college. He's not terrible. But if you're drafting Will Levis top five, top ten to be your franchise quarterback, I believe you will have made a mistake in doing that. Anthony Richardson is a total wild card to me. Because Anthony Richardson has the potential, and potential is the key word here, to be great. He's got every type of characteristic you'd want to see. But you cannot deny the fact the guy didn't do much of anything at Florida in his time in college football. He's a couple highlights. He had that great spin move touchdown deal against Utah. He had some great plays in other games. He had a great long touchdown run against LSU. Other than that, I mean, he's a couple sports center highlights and then a lot of nothing in his time at Florida. So I'm concerned about that, but he's got a huge upside. Um, Bryce Young, I believe, is going to be a great pro. C.J. Stroud, I am i don't know. I don't know because I, I haven't seen C.J. Stroud have to improvise enough. I feel like the system at Ohio State and what he's been able to do with just an unbelievable wide receiver group and room around him I don't know that he's been tested enough where I can say, boy, this guy's going to be really good for a bad NFL team. When he gets there and the circumstances aren't great around him, he's going to be a good quarterback that elevates. Can't say that about C.J. Stroud right now. Maybe. I'm not out on him the way I am Will Levis, but I just don't know that we can say that. Well, and we, you're right about the talent around him, but the talent around him is what everyone's pointing to for Levis that he didn't have as to why he should be ranked higher. And it, specifically, we're, we're going back to the, the early mocks in like January, right? Yeah. Before the combine, before we got to any of the pro day workouts or anything like that. And now I think we're back to ranking these guys about where they should be, period. Where is Hendon Hooker in this mix, though? For college production... NFL system, talent around him, and the fact that if you're drafting him in the first round, you need that. I mean, not everybody can have the patience of having Aaron Rodgers in front of you. Yeah. 
and you draft Jordan Love late in the first round. Like you, you need the if you're drafting Hendon Hooker, uh, minimum, he needs to be starting for you or at least in the mix to start for you a year from now. I think there's a real scenario where five quarterbacks go in the top ten. I think there's a chance Will Levis goes four to Indy if you believe some of those reports after someone trades up and gets Anthony Richardson at three. And then I think there's a chance that the Raiders draft Hinton Hooker at seven. And you could see five mm. go in the top ten. Now, that's not likely. That's, that's the situation he needs, though. The more likely scenario, uh, here's just, if I'm just cherry picking the best spot for Hinton Hooker's future and where he could really thrive pretty quickly, um, it's the Rams. Yep. In that situation, with Matthew Stafford now getting up there a little bit and having the injury concerns, and the Vikings. And don't really know what that future may look like with Kirk Cousins, but yep. you've got right. Sean McVay and part of the Sean McVay tree offensively where Hooker can come in and watch for a year, recover, and then really take off with those guys and the offenses they could build around him. I think those are some prime spots for Hendon Hooker to land, possibly later in the first round. Uh, and if you're going to tie in McVay, tie in Green Bay. Yep. I, I, mean, I, I know they've got love. Green Bay but. to me is the mystery because I really don't have any – I have no clue what they think about Jordan Love. I know what I think about Jordan Love. I think he's a bust. I think it's one of the bigger mistakes they've made as a franchise is drafting him and starting that whole process with Aaron Rodgers where I think they then, maybe win another Super Bowl if Aaron Rodgers is pissed off at the with, organization over or, that. Or they get one piece that becomes yeah. – the bigger so, piece of the offense. I'm not around him every day, though. From what I've seen, I think the guy is a, is a backup at best and not a starter in the league. But what do they believe? I don't know. If they don't, if they believe what I believe, I'm with you, Hutton. Hendon Hooker's a great is in a great spot in Green Bay if they go to that direction. Amazing scene uh, this past weekend at Virginia. Running back Mike Hollins, absolutely playing with a heavy heart. The uh, tragic shooting that took the lives of uh, his teammates. He was shot in the abdomen. Five months later, he's scoring a touchdown in the spring game for Virginia. And, Chad, there, there are not many spring football moments that, you know, will be as impactful as, as this one. But to find one, you have to go to a scenario where a guy is coming back in this short amount of time and the impact that would have on that community, on that college on the fan base and everyone in that locker room. Yeah. Really Hollins. cool moment going up and putting the football down on the fallen teammates name yeah. in the back of the end zone. Uh, an awesome moment to see for Virginia and um, just a look, it, it's a, it's a good warm hearted moment in the midst of tragedy with that program, but cool to see this past weekend. Yeah. I mean, and he's back five months and then we saw Brian Robinson return after being shot in the thigh. I mean, he just, craziness in in the recovery process but so glad that happened uh at what and what we saw here out of a, a tragic situation um chad clay travis on Stephen a's podcast the uh no mercy podcast which is available now with Stephen a smith clay uh went and taped this with Stephen a uh, about a week and a half ago or so and it dropped today where they get into a variety of topics in a conversation that Clay said lasted over an hour. I know you have watched it, or you've listened, listened to, to it, it, yeah, and you can do both. Uh, but here is Clay discussing why he loves OutKick and why he loves hosting the radio show every day. 
good start. I love it. Uh, I love the fact, and I bet you would appreciate this as well. I feel privileged because I get to say exactly what I think every day. My wife says that's why I don't need therapy uh, in this era where I feel like everybody has to tiptoe up to what they believe or what they feel they can say. I say exactly what I think. Um, and at the end of the day, I've got no weight on my shoulders and I go and I take care of my kids. Uh, and, uh, and that's my life. Is that the reason or the primary reason why you took that challenge? Because you knew that you'd have the freedom? Because obviously doing radio, and by the way, just as an aside, it doesn't get much better than Julie Talbot. I've known her for over a decade. She is one of the greatest women I've ever known. I would ask you, is that did that play a role, meaning the freedom to just say whatever it is that you want to say without having to worry too much about repercussions in a lot of people's eyes? Is that the number one reason you took this job? I think you can't be successful in Unless you believe you can say exactly what you think. And I bet you would agree with this. Authenticity, I think, is the single most important thing in our business today. You may not agree with everything, but you have to believe that the person who's talking to you is to being as truthful as he can or she can on a day-to-day basis. Hey, Clay stuck by that the entire time we've known him. Uh, he's not speaking inside of an echo chamber there where he wants to hear himself say that. He, he does that on a daily basis. Uh, and Chad, that's why we came and worked for him. Yeah, it's exactly why. And and look, Clay wanted us here for that reason because he knew that we were going to say what we thought as well. And he wanted to stick with that original ethos of what he founded Outkick on, which you mentioned the the he mentioned the four staples of the brand there. And in that uh, clip that we just heard, I listened to the entire hour. I thought it was really good. Clay is Clay. I've known Clay for years, so I've heard Clay say everything he said in that interview probably a thousand times. There's not one anecdote or analogy that he used that I have not heard him use in in countless other interviews. He was good, but he was Clay. I gained a lot of respect for Stephen A. Smith in this interview. I've never been a huge fan of, of Stephen A. Smith, but his ability to speak with someone of differing opinions and ask really good questions, I gained a lot more respect for him. It's amazing to see the responses to people crushing Stephen A. Smith that he dared to have Clay on because he gave him a platform and how dare you platform Clay Travis and all this. And I looked at that and I said, good for Stephen A. Smith. He just proved that you could have someone on with different opinions. Both sides could share their opinion. You could have a good conversation and still be friends at the end of it. They seem like two guys who really liked and respected each other, even though they're not going to agree on a lot of things. I thought it was terrific. The, the, the whole spirit of the interview was really well done. And I think Stephen A. Smith asked him really good questions to Clay about him getting now more into the political part of it yeah. and not sports. He asked two questions that I would absolutely ask Clay if I were in a hard-hitting interview with him. Clay had good answers to both of them. But I would ask, hey, you voted Republican for the first time in 2020, and now you're the voice of conservatives and Republicans everywhere. How did that happen? Great question. Talked about him voting for Barack Obama twice and and why. Clay had a good answer to that. Good questions from Stephen A. Smith. Great discussion. And once again, proof that if we put down our blinders, we can talk to people with different opinions and it'll be fine. It's about having a conversation, not an argument. Absolutely. And it's not just that. It's just the freedom to say it. The way Clay talked about the freedom to say what he wants at OutKick that's what you want to have, that freedom to have the conversation. Well, and I, and I, I, Clay told me he thought it went really well. Um, he described it as a really good conversation. And I'm thinking, it well, was really good. Stephen A., for the most part, is on a show that's propped up by argument, right? Yep. 
And so if you hear him have a conversation, it's going to be way different. And Chad and I are on, on the same wavelength here. Like we, we're not going to have some manufactured BS argument for the sake of having an argument uh, with, on the show or with a guest. And we welcome either side of the aisle to join us for a conversation anytime. Yeah, just like Stephen A. Smith did. You know, I don't think Stephen A. Smith agrees with Clay right. politically, but he had him on. It was civil. Uh, they, he asked him the right questions, I thought. Clay said, hey, come on my show anytime. He said, absolutely. Let me know when. I'm happy to join your show. I love it. I gained a ton of respect for Stephen A. Smith. Clay was Clay. He was good. He had good answers for every question that he asked. Uh, he was even asked, you know, define woke culture to me. He told Clay, and Clay had a good definition for it because he said, I honestly don't know necessarily what that means. And Clay laid it out. I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was really done, really well done. 10 out of 10 in my review, so from, from both sides. Go check it out. Uh, Stephen A. Smith's No Mercy podcast available now, the latest episode with Clay Travis. Coming up, our latest conversation with Timmy B. Tim Brando. Timmy B. Is, uh, is about to join us. He knows about working alongside and working with the new commissioner of the Big Ten. We'll also dive into Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Brando, next on Hot Mike. And we're coming to you live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton and Withrow joined by Tim Brando of Fox Sports. Dive into a variety of topics with him today. Timmy B, it's always great to have you on. We've discussed whether or not we should call you Timmy B on the show. Uh, oh, we... no, you better. Okay. Oh, you better sweet. call me Timmy B. It Good. just rolls off that. the tongue. It's, uh, it's something about it. Yeah. It's very familiar when we, we say Timmy B. So hey, I'm you, glad you like it. You're familiar. Yeah. We were discussing the, the No Mercy podcast with Stephen A. Smith. The latest guest was Clay. Uh, and right. you, you're familiar with both? Know both well. I do. And, and frankly, I know Stephen A. for a longer period of time. Than I've known Clay, um, you know, Clay to he, he burst onto the scene big time at SEC media days with <laughs> yeah. a question to Tim Tebow <laughs> that will live in infamy. Yeah, but he's come a long way since both guys are highly intelligent and and I think um, charismatic. And I think that's what you got uh, in that conversation. I haven't heard all of it, but I heard a good bit of it. And in my years of radio, just to give you a little background on Stephen A to the young people out there that are watching him on a daily basis that they have no idea you know what he used to do as a writer and how in sports radio particularly at the national level when i was doing my show daily on sporting news radio from this very office right here in this study uh back in 2001 2002 whenever an issue of race came up and uh and i had a very strong view of what was taking place whether it was really a an issue of race or maybe it was more of a generational issue than it was of race i would call on Stephen a to, to be a guest on my show so people would understand that this is not quote a racist view from someone saying that it's not a racist issue that it's more generational than racial and and Stephen a could deflect that for me and he did that, i'm sure for countless other people there are many times when Stephen A. will err on the right side of an issue when he knows that it's accurate. Okay, that's the bottom line. Now, there are times because of the format structure that you guys were discussing, and that even happens in sports shows. 
that aren't spontaneous. And I'm talking about wraparound shows to football and basketball that for whatever reason decide to go in that direction rather than the game itself. This notion that everyone on the panel has to disagree, or at least there needs to be a couple of people disagreeable. I hate that kind of studio. Spontaneity is what makes for great television. And uh, in either case, now look, <laughs> I chose to go more towards play-by-play -play away from the studio and away from politics. And that's the reason why I'm calling games now for a living. And I frankly think in our industry, play-by-play uh, -play has been thrown a little bit under the bus in terms of reputations made for great broadcasters. To me, when I was coming up, the guys calling a live event were the really creative and talented people. Now, everything revolves around a studio and also disagreement uh, in almost every area of broadcasting. But these two guys are both very successful because, A, they're intelligent, and they say what they believe. And they don't mind surprising you. And that's what the viewer wants. And uh, there are a lot of times when Stephen A. does not fit the, um, uh, the, the script of what that particular segment of our society wants him uh, to blend in with. Uh, a lot of times that uh, I've heard him, and I've had him on my own show years and years ago, uh, he would say things that would alienate the audience, the very audience that most people believe made him famous. Yeah, and it's they're they're different skill sets in broadcasting. Yeah, like what you do, Tim, as a play by play guy, is to be likable, to be accessible to the audience. So when I watch you or hear you, I think, oh, Tim Brando seems like a, a great guy, right? I want to hang out with Tim Brando because you're doing your job of being likable and accessible. Yeah. What Stephen A. Smith and Clay, what they do is not that. They're going to be right. not well-liked by a, a big segment yeah. of the population. Well, and they know that going yeah. into it. But Tim, what I liked about this podcast was hearing it. I like when I go into something not really liking someone's on-air persona and leaving yeah. it liking them more. I, I like and respect Stephen A. Smith more because of his ability to have that conversation with differing opinions with Clay. And I think there's a skill to well, that as well. Nine times out of ten, fellas, what you're seeing is not what's really the truth in television. Okay. You gotta, you gotta understand the format structure of a show. And it's frankly, one of the reasons why I happily left sports radio after one year at Fox, because yeah, I, I saw myself as a broadcaster of live events, not a pot stirrer, but when you're doing radio on a daily basis for three hours, you're talking about every issue. And if you don't talk about, all the issues that matter, you're deemed a coward. And I'm certainly not that. So I went through probably an entire oh, eight to nine years of the 15 years I was on radio, having some people believe that I was someone other than who I really am, because I did speak with passion about a lot of different things. And frankly, it pissed off a number of people. I got to a point where I was like, okay, this, this conversation is going into an area that I really don't want to be part of anymore. But I respect both those guys, and I think it was great that Stephen A. had Clay on. I hope we see more of it. Maybe somebody on Capitol Hill will see some of that and understand that we need to find more areas where we agree as opposed to disagree. And uh, there, there is a way to get this thing done and speak on, on both sides of the ledger. Uh, you can be in a gray area and still get people's attention. I think now uh, you speak in absolutes, and if you're speaking in nothing but absolutes, you can't find a, a gray area of compromise. That's exactly what this country needs, whether it's in sports or in our culture.
Amen. It's amazing what happens when you get smart people together and they actually speak yeah. and listen to each other like we heard in that podcast. Right. So I'm, I'm with you. You know a lot about on-air chemistry with a broadcast of, of a game. So Jim Nance came out in a podcast interview and, and said, I didn't like what was going on with what was being reported about his broadcast partner, Tony Romo, and issues of an intervention with CBS and issues in the booth with those two. And he said he's one of my you know, good friends and there are no issues. But Tim, you've been with a lot of broadcast partners over the years. I'm sure chemistry with some was better than chemistry with others. How do yeah. you rectify that if you know you're in a situation where either you don't like someone as much as you want to or you just don't flow as well over the course of a game with someone, and then when you get in that situation where you know the chemistry is instant with a broadcast partner, how do those two sides differ? Well, I got to tell you, I've never really been in that situation because I've enjoyed everyone I've been with. I've had, I've had good relationships uh, in football, basketball, baseball, everything I've ever covered, uh, I've never had a bad relationship with an analyst I've worked with. I do understand where Jim was coming from because he is the lead broadcaster, okay? Tony Romo talks when Jim gets through calling the play. And, you know, they hit lightning in a bottle in that first year. They really did. And, and frankly, I think a lot of times uh, – Jim was probably criticized for not being, quote, as big of a football guy as he was deemed a golf guy. And, and frankly, I thought Tony Romo, he brought such energy and enthusiasm that was natural. Jim's uh, overall level of performance, in my view, was elevated. Then I think after maybe a few years went by, and this is, again, simply my opinion, it's always subjective, uh, Tony was uh, less informed about the currency of the game. Therefore, he had to maybe hit the ground running and do a little more homework because he's been out of the league now for a number of years. That's been at least the criticism I've seen publicly. And Jim, rightfully, in my view, said, you know what? No, uh, he's working hard. And whatever these reports are that are out there from media critics that there's some kind of intervention or anything else taking place, those things happen all the time. And that's true. Um, uh, the top executives, when when they get through with the season, they'll at some point maybe say something. You 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 need to work on this. You guys need to have better flow here. Uh, whether that actually happened or not, I have no idea. But for Jim, as a play by play partner of Tony Romo, I can certainly see why he would take that view and say, "Hey, I'm going to support my guy because he's my guy, and we'll be the, for the foreseeable future." I think it's just a pro being a pro uh, to his partner, Tony Romo, in those kinds of reports that are out there. You know, we don't go through the same sort of nitpicking uh, when you're doing the uh, number two game or the number three game in a, in a college or pro event that the number one team does. We're not out there calling Super Bowls. Rightfully or wrongfully, they take the heat uh, more so than the other guys. But over time, if you've noticed teams that have been together for years and years and years, all right. And Jim's had that situation in golf with Ken Venturi and basketball with Billy Packer. You know, he's been in those situations. This one is a, what are they, about five years in now, five, six, maybe years in. Uh, when we get to 10, 11, 12, 13 years, then we'll know if, in fact, there were problems and they needed to be addressed, or it was uh, maybe just a little bit of drama that the press wanted to, to throw out there at a convenient time. I'm not sure of e either. 
but the bottom line is if I'm the guy working with the guy getting scalded, I'm going to have his back. I think Jim did the right thing. And money has a lot to do with this also. When the figures that are reported for Tony Romo, there's going to be more criticism out there when you start making yeah. that level of money. And I think, you know, fair or unfair, yeah. that's going to happen. And, and what I've seen with it, I'm curious about your take on this, Tim. I never got the sense that Jim Nance didn't like Tony Romo on the broadcast, but Romo definitely changed his style the last season and a half where he's asking more questions of Jim Nance during the broadcast. It felt more conversational, whether or not Jim Nance wanted it to be conversational or not. At times, mm -hmm. there was just a difference in the, the administration of the broadcast. Did you get that sense watching those games at all? I think what happens when you, when you are given, and this happened across the board, fellas, okay, there are a lot of media critics out there that think they know what good television is, and they really don't. Now, they never did it, and but they write about it. A lot of those guys, by the way, are friends of mine and have written a lot of good things and some not so good things about me in the past. But when you give a guy the kind of love that was given to Tony Romo right out of the gate, all right, then he's got to live to that every time out. And, and I think that there were so many bouquets thrown in the beginning that he you know he was never going to live up to that after the fact and sure yeah part of that criticism is going to be about the highly celebrated and uh, well-known fact about the money that's involved and how that changed the industry everyone else that's in Romo's position now is making similar money and uh, that was because of the decision that um, CBS and Sean McManus made when they they chose to pay Tony Romo that so it all comes with the territory. It really does. But the bottom line for all young broadcasters, and I've said this to analysts that are coming up, and, and I've said it to play-by-play -play people that I mentor from time to time, you do not leave anything out there that is speculation and not follow up on it. You've got to follow up on whatever the speculation is that you had. And don't leave the audience wondering. Okay, and when you throw your play-by-play -play guy in a position, and I and listen, the play-by-play -play guy can do this to an analyst many times. When I when a play-by-play -play guy, I'll, I'll keep it there because that's what I do. When a play-by-play -play guy asks a specific question to the analyst, he's really doing an unfair thing to that analyst because now he's forced to answer a question that maybe he's not comfortable with. What the play-by-play -play guy should do if he knows his stuff is make a point, a specific point. And that way, the analyst can either agree and expound on it, or he can disagree and tell you why. That's the way you go about having great chemistry in the booth. And, uh, you know, for a quarter century, that's how I've handled Spencer. And we have what we call creative tension in the booth. There are times when he'll agree with me. There are times when he might not. But everyone knows we're close. So ultimately, if, if, if you know that we disagree, we're still going to be okay, and we'll move on to the next item. But if I feel that way about play-by-play -play guys, trust me, the last thing a play-by-play -play guy wants is, an, is his analyst leaving a sentence with a question mark on it for the play-by-play -play guy. You just reverse roles. You're supposed to be telling me why. I'm supposed to be telling you what. Tim Brando with us on Hot Mike. Tim, so I, I think when most of us saw that the Big Ten had hired Tony Patetti, 
uh, formerly mm-hmm. of uh, CBS and uh, most recently MLB, we thought to ourselves, hmm, this is interesting. Who is this guy? But you certainly knew a lot more than, than many, having worked with him at CBS. What can you tell, him, tell us about who the Big Ten has just hired and why? Well, I've known Tony long before he was my boss at CBS. He was actually uh, a lawyer uh, and um, uh, later a, a young programmer at ABC Sports, uh, working under Dennis Swanson, uh, who worked, of course, under the great Rune Arledge. Uh, I'm about four or five years older than Tony, but we met then when I was at ESPN and, and he was at ABC Sports. Uh, and he loved college football and he loved Major League Baseball and now has a chance to be a leader in both. And I think uh, MLB would have been well served to have hired him as commissioner. And I think the Pac-12, I actually tweeted this years ago. You can look it up. I thought he should have been hired as the Pac-12 commissioner when Larry Scott got the job. Uh, Tony has a true understanding of the inside the rights holders position and the inside of the athletic department's position because of the people he's worked with for so many years. Uh, even though he spent time uh, in, in, in the private area of, of our industry, uh, both with Blizzard, the company he was with out on the West Coast, and with others that uh, were dealing with NIL circumstances, He's a guy that I think was destined to be a commissioner of a major uh, organization. And certainly you don't get bigger in college football than the Big Ten and the SEC. He's the perfect guy at the perfect time. Some have said and written, well, that television deal's already done. Kevin Warren had it done. It's good for the next seven years. He can kick back and just enjoy life. No, no, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done on the NIL front the transfer portal front, he'll, he'll be a point man for that. And let's not forget, it will be the commissioners of the major conferences in college football that put together the legal construct for the upcoming college football playoff negotiation, which will begin in 26. Now, we'll go to the 12-team format next year, not this year, but next. That will still be a 12-team format under the old contract. That was forced onto them really by the presidents of the institutions, and it'll still be on ESPN. But the negotiation for a multi-network deal and upwards of a billion or more dollars is waiting in the wings after that first year. I think I told you that I anticipate we'll go to 16 teams when that contract comes around, leaving those four teams that are currently getting a buy with a home game against the 13, 14, 15, and 16 seeds. I think there's a very good chance that that'll happen for inventory's sake, and for more money. Now, he's a lawyer, and not only a great lawyer, but a television lawyer, which will give him, I think, a leg up in that room among commissioners about how much we can make, how much bigger and better it can be. If you just listen to what I'm thinking and what all of the experts in the field of advertising are telling us, if we have teams one, two, three, and four playing the opening week, as well as teams five, through 12. And it'll be, I think, um, I think it'll be enormous what could be done potentially with that next contract. And he's got the uh, requisite tools to pull that off. Uh, he's a wonderful guy, a man that'll walk into room, to the room knowing he's likely the smartest, but he doesn't give that off. He's a really enjoyable, humble, soft-spoken leader, which is exactly what college football needs right now. 
as I said, perfect guy at the perfect time. He and Greg Sankey are the two most powerful men in college football. But understanding that relationships with those others in the room, Brett Yormark, without question, and with with the commissioner of the Pac-12 now in search of uh, a new television deal, you know, he might be of help to George Klyavkov. I certainly know he's got a, a willing eye in mind to help all of the sport. Yes, the Big Ten is the most important, but he's already been vetted by all of those presidents, fellas. That means he's fine with them. I think we need someone in charge today in college football that cares about more than just his own constituents. And I can tell you from having worked for the man for nine years at CBS, he cares about all of college football. And that's really what the sport needs desperately. Great perspective from Tim Brando. Timmy B, who has been our guest uh, from Fox Sports. And uh, we love the conversation each and every time you join us. Hopefully we can do it again soon with you. Thanks, Tim. You got it, fellas. Always good to be with you. Yep, same. There's Tim Brando there. Uh, love having him on. Really good. And great stuff today. If you missed portions of that, you can find it at OutKick or just simply go to YouTube and search out OutKick. We hope you'll subscribe to the channel there. Coming up, uh, Boston with an anniversary with the marathon and the bombing. We'll get perspective on all of that next on Hotline. Been a fun Monday show for Hot Mike. If you've missed portions of it, we hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can find all the shows across the Outkick network there. Just search out Outkick and then hit the like button, subscription, and all that. And you can join us in the chat. Chat's there now. Been there all day. He'll be there tomorrow starting at 3 o'clock I'm uh, Eastern. typing something up in the chat as we speak, Hutton, right yeah. now. Uh, today marks the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. Took the lives of, of three at... at Injured hundreds, including um, what double? I was going to say twenty or so with arms and limbs, uh, other limbs that were uh, blown off. I mean, it was just horrific. And I'll never forget watching the live coverage of the, when they found that guy in the back of the, the backyard in that boat. Yeah, there was blood, I think, dripping from the boat yeah. where he was injured in because the he chase. Ran, he ran over his brother or something. Yeah, on the way there, he was in a, a suburb of Boston. In a backyard uh, underneath the uh, boat cover. So uh, Davey was telling us about there's a docuseries yeah. in line with the 10-year anniversary on Netflix. Netflix. That's a three-parter. I, it pops up in my queue. The algorithm has me where it knows I'll be interested in I'll, it, so it pops up I'll every time I go too. to Netflix, Yeah, and I do want to uh, watch that. Now would be a good time being the 10-year anniversary, which led to the great David Ortiz speech before a, a Red Sox game, if you remember, about the, no the Boston Strong movement. His city, their city. Um, Zidane Chara, longtime NHL player, finished yep. the Boston Marathon in under four hours. He is six today. foot nine. When he played, he was the tallest player in NHL history. I want to say he is six foot nine. That's tough play, to do on you? skates. It's also that's tough six, to finish on, a Boston six, Marathon at six foot nine. Yeah, at six nine, just standing, not on skates. Yeah, so seven eight on skates, I think, is the correct. Uh, translation with the height the, by the metric system. <laughs> no, he's over seven feet, I would think, on skates. And what a huge advantage for those fights, too. Oh, you are Just looking holding, down on someone. I love it. I mean, come here, child. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're doing. <laughs> you just keep at arm's length and just pound. 
<laughs> That's what Zdeno Chara did. That was his go-to move. Come here. Let me pound. Are and we going to see the Warriors even the series or no? I think we see that. I think the Kings win. Warriors have been terrible on the road. But it is playoff time, and we know the NBA, they start playing in the playoffs. So maybe they'll be a good right. road team. We're back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. <laughs>